When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 146, and this opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I'm talking to our old friend, Mike Miller. Mike, usually you help me with those well-researched shows we do about the history of the club, but with the Barcelona news cycle being such a mess, I did need some help today with LaRonda. Think you're up to the challenge? As always, my friend. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. And one of the things that we're trying to answer today, um, and an overarching question, what future are Barcelona preparing for? And the two names that begin this question are Neymar and Antoine Griezmann. We have a ton of questions on those. And then, you know, just to uh, foreshadow a little bit about basically about the middle of the show here, I got one of my favorite LaRonda questions that we've ever had. I'll leave it at that for now. We're going we're gonna to go back to it later. But first, unfortunately, Mike, we have to talk about Neymar and Griezmann, beginning with Roscoe's question. If the club were to sign Neymar or Griezmann, does it feel like a sense of identity is being lost? I think that the sense of identity that we are used to has been lost a long time ago. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't get it back because, uh, you know, soccer, uh, the world of, of soccer is, is cyclical, right? We, we've had good eras. We've had excellent eras. We've had legendary eras. And we've had eras that we would rather forget about. That being said... I feel like uh, there is a will from the club to keep the the, the situation uh, as stable as possible in terms of uh, of results, 
for the next two years until the election of 2021, until the, the, the end of uh, Ernesto Valverde's contract with the club as well. So instead of destroying the entire house and trying to rebuild it through La Masia or the acquisition of younger talent, we're trying to make the same moves and perhaps the same mistakes that we've made since uh, Laporta and Guardiola left, which is to go after superstars and try to get immediate results. And that's what we're trying to achieve here, in my opinion, with Neymar and Antoine Griezmann. Yeah, I wonder, there's a line of thinking here that I'm considering about what is that sense of identity? Is it a sense of identity on the field and and? That's why last year through so many matches, you saw people online and, uh, and at the stadium even complaining about what they were physically seeing, Valverde's brand of, of football that they were seeing on the field, and that was Barcelona losing its identity. Or are we talking about the sense of identity as a business? And, and I, I think of as a business, when we talk about, we're going to call them Galactico signings, unfortunately, because that's the one that kind of you know digs the knife in a, a little harder when it comes to the likes of, of, of Neymar and Antoine Griezmann. But there is a line to be drawn here. Uh, when it was Maradona or Cruyff or Lazo Kobala, where big money at the time was spent on those players that were superstar players, were some of the best in the world. And the feeling is Antoine Griezmann, as much as uh, he, he might be known for histrionics and being a little bit of a character, he is one of the best in the world. He just won a World Cup. All those things go uh, hand in hand. But and Neymar is something different, where it does feel like there's a pride that must come with the business that Barcelona does, that they're, the identity is one that is supposed to be a, a club that you can be proud of. And the way that all the negative things that we're going to keep talking about involving Neymar, not only his departure, but currently what's happening with him uh, as an individual, I, I think it is very Shakespearean and tragic in you know the way he's now perceived by so much media. Um, and, and I think the best thing for his career, obviously, would be for him individually, would be to come back to Barcelona. But the question then, as far as a sense of identity, is it best for Neymar to come back to the club? And part two of that would be that Barcelona and that the, the Guardiola and, and what I think will now for at least 50 or 100 years, well, I don't know about that long, but uh, for a great amount of time now in the future, because of the success of, of Guardiola's brand of football at Barcelona, that is the identity that, that Barcelona want to see on the field. And Neymar and Luis Enrique and that union did change that in the treble winning season because football was changing. So as football changes, Barcelona has to adapt with it. That's true. But the principles of possession with the ball, of, of the, the quality, the technical skill, uh, and, and the mind, the minds of the players that Barcelona have on the field, uh, their decision-making, and just the, the extreme elite level that, that those skills are for are expected of for all Barcelona players, more so than the physicality, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that you might see with, with other big clubs. And, and so Neymar does go a little bit away from that, and I think Kules want to go back to feeling like it is an attempt at uh, replicating some of the ideals that we feel that Guardiola's uh, Barcelona did uphold. Uh, then the second part of that is that uh, the sense of identity is also wrapped very much in, in being uh, a cattling club. And, you know, I, I'm reading at the moment, I'm, or say I'm rereading parts of Fear and Loathing uh, in La Liga by, by Sid Lowe. And obviously the connection between Catalonia and, and Spain and Catalonia and now the world media has changed over time. And so it's in Barcelona's best interest as a business to distance itself a little bit from um, 
politically what's happening in Catalonia, and we on this, the, the Barcelona podcast, obviously, we'll tell you what's happening, but we avoid taking political stances because, again, in in the sense of a global audience, that's not best for even even the podcast. Um, and, and so the sense of identity is being lost in a bit because it was a sense of identity that was constructed uh, largely by the media over what is, in essence, at the end of the day, just a sporting business. And so the question is, uh, does Neymar being obviously a positive because of being Brazilian and all the marketability there and coming back to the club and that whole story, knowing you're going to sell the jerseys that you will, is it a bad business decision for Barcelona either? And are they willing to accept the bad look if it is still good for business? Uh, I, I, Mike, I threw a ton at you there, but I think those are all the thoughts I have towards uh, the Neymar signing. Again, it's just, it's so much more nuanced than I think people think. Uh, and again, it, what might be good for him might be bad for the club and what might be bad for the club might still even be good for the future of the club. Well, within their own context, uh, of course, you can make a lot of... Uh, there, there are a lot of similarities between uh, Neymar's situation, the current Neymar situation, when you compare it to Kubala, Cruyff, Maradona, and uh, players of that, of that nature. The only difference, though, between the current Neymar situation and all these other examples that you've mentioned is that Neymar doesn't fill a void right now. We don't need him. Of course, you can criticize Usman Dembele and Philippe Coutinho all day, uh, or even Malcolm. The the bottom line is we are overcrowded up front, and of course we can make changes. But it's not like it's not like we've received offers for uh, Coutinho or for Dembele right now. So if De- if Neymar had to come over, or even Griezmann had to come over. Uh, what would happen next? We would have to go through a fire sale to get rid of Coutinho and uh, Dembele at a price that would be way below what we spent to, to, to bring them over. And the question that I'm asking myself is, 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 is Neymar's second coming really necessary from a competitive standpoint? The, ob- the obvious answer is no. From a marketing standpoint, though, um, I'm sure that we could do very well without him. And think about it: Neymar has been injured repeatedly for the for the previous two seasons. I don't think that this is going to to, to improve unless he makes a significant change in his uh, discipline as a professional. And I I have a hard time imagining that, especially coming back to a more than friendly environment in a dressing room that will embrace him and protect him and unfortunately allow him to 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 to, to keep uh, to, to 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 keep doing what he does and uh, <laughs> for example his well-known antics his uh, his late night partying his yearly trip to Brazil uh, which co- coincides with his uh, with his sister's birthday, and you know he's always uh, he's always had either an injury or suspension coinciding with with that date every single year. So to bring back a player that won't fight for his spot because that spot will be guaranteed to him is not something that will help not only from a competitive standpoint, but even from a marketing standpoint, because as you mentioned, the image of the club is something that has taken a lot of blows in the previous years, coincidentally since the arrival of Neymar, (laughs) of all people. And I don't think that with a diminishing public image, uh, you're, you're helping your marketing department 
even if uh, in, uh, at the at the present moment you're selling more jerseys and you're attracting more sponsors in the long run it's gonna hurt to a point where it's gonna be beyond competition image and dollar signs and for a huge club like Barcelona it's not something that you want to that you want to play with so I'm guessing if Neymar does come back he's gonna have to provide the club with the same type of guarantees that Luis Suarez did when he signed his first contract with the club back in 2014. Hmm, interesting. And I think a lot of things you brought up are going to help answer some of our questions moving forward. Is we're going to pick up the pace here. Mike and I both gave you uh, kind of our broad overview opinions of, of Neymar and, to a degree, uh, the Griezmann thing. So we're going to go a little bit quicker here with a question from Ellie. How many players do we need to sell to balance both the transfer and wage budgets? And Ellie, uh, the answer uh, I'll give simply is, while Jordi Cardona, the vice president, said that Neymar expressed interest in returning to Barcelona, but they aren't considering it yet, um, if it does come to that, looking at the wages, Coutinho, Dembele, and Umtiti, I think, would all have to be on the way out, uh, simply just, again, because of how much they make as well. Uh, and if I think Antoine Griezmann, as we can see with what's happening on July 1st, he's about 95% done. So basically, by the time that you hear the next show, uh, Griezmann will most likely have already been presented as a Barcelona player. Uh, so my thinking here is that to, to bring in Neymar, you're going to have to see the, the big wage makers uh, lead the club, and I think Messi, Suarez, Pique, I, I don't think they're going anywhere this summer. But that does bring up a point you talked about, Mike, about uh, a question from Douglas, Valverde. What is Valverde's leash, do you think, if the club get both Griezmann and Neymar? Um, unfortunately, knowing the board that we have currently, especially in the sporting direction, winning La Liga is something that warrants whatever whatever happens collaterally. If we win La Liga and we go through another unfortunate incident in uh, either the the Champions League or the let's face it lesser important lesser competition the Copa del Rey the club will always wave that joker around that La Liga is the most difficult uh, the most difficult title to to win in in all of soccer according to to according to them and that winning La Liga is not something that is easy, and to, to, to win La Liga warrants everything that, the, that might have happened during the season. That being said, if we go trophyless, I think that Valverde will definitely be on, its way, uh, on his way out. But if we win La Liga and things aren't happening the way we would want them to in the Champions League, unfortunately, I think that Valverde will be able to keep his spot for one more year. Yeah, I mean, this is a third season, and it isn't like the uh, Jose Mourinho third season type situation. But I think being the manager of Barcelona, we've seen it over the course of the club's history, not just in the 21st century, that it is an exhausting job, and it gets more and more exhausting as the club has continued to be the global brand that it is and the the, the media attention uh, and just the constant slog that is being in charge of FC Barcelona. And I think for a lot of people as just as human beings that that third season winds up being it so i wouldn't be surprised regardless of what happens if this is valverde's uh final season and jorge does follow that by asking should barcelona have opted for kike Seti instead of valverde well i think kike Seti and going along with this idea that valverde is going to be the manager of barcelona that's again just like reason about 90 percent uh done and dusted it would be a great surprise if he winds up uh being replaced uh over the course of the rest of this summer again they're already 
gearing up for preseason in uh, just about two, three weeks. Uh, so I would expect Valverde to continue. Kike Setien, uh, I think, will probably get a new job. Obviously, he departed from Real Batiste, uh, but I expect him to uh, soon be on a bench shortly, uh, and then that would complicate the matters. Um, so should Barcelona have opted for Kike Setien? Maybe, but I, I think that's a, that, that point uh, no longer truly matters uh, just because of uh, the, the, the way the situation is set up moving forward. Now, AJ said, would signing Neymar and Griezmann put Suarez on the bench? Or, Mike, uh, would you like to see 10 attackers and then they're staying mm. in net? I, I don't think that, let's say, uh, if our attackers next season are Griezmann, Neymar, Suarez, and Messi, and assuming that we get rid of Coutinho and Dembele, I don't think that, aside from Messi, uh, there would be a clear three-man firepower attack uh, from from one game to another. I think that there would be... Uh, Valverde would figure out a way to rotate uh, our four attackers in a way that would keep everybody satisfied at least for one season, especially if it's uh, the type of season where everybody can see clearly that we're favorite that we would be favorites in all three competition all three competitions that being said you never know what type of form Luis Suarez is going to show up in at the beginning of next season of course he's lost a lot of weight but he's no longer 20 years old and the the wear and tear of a Copa America is not something that's going to that that's going to be subtle at the beginning of next season we're going to see that He's going to probably be as exhausted, if not more exhausted, than he, than he was when he came back from the FIFA World Cup last year. So is he going to spend more time on the bench? Yes, but I don't think that he's going to spend uh, most of his time on the bench. I think that there's going to be a healthy rotation and that this type of rotation will be agreed upon with the senior members of the dressing room. Right. Everything does come through Barcelona's leadership. And that being Messi, and when you do talk about the the decision-making and pull of Messi, I don't think we would ever say that he's the one making decisions behind the scenes, but I think there might be some truth to the fact that if it's somebody that Messi uh, seems to not be so keen with, whether it be personnel or what's happening on the field, then he does have the pull, and obviously he's earned it. He's earned the credence to, to have that kind of say. Uh, and it does also make me think about the, uh, the future for Messi on where, what direction his life is going to go in after this and the way that we expected Xavi to go into coaching and boy, oh boy, has he done that, you know, head first. But for Messi, I, you know, we, I don't know where uh, little Messi is going to be 30 years from now and what that looks like. And I, I think we're going to think back on this time as him as, as a veteran leader on Barcelona uh, as, as being, um, I think, a big part of that story and what that's going to look like. But um, talking about Messi's future, James has a good question here. Uh, more of a thought experiment uh, for James than, than a question. With Neymar and Griezmann, are Barcelona setting themselves up for Messi's imminent retirement departure? He's 33 next year. Is that possible? I think you wonder, Mike, putting on your conspiracy hat, do Barcelona know something about Messi's future, as I just talked about, that we don't know, that he might be out sooner than later? My gut tells me, He's still got about another three seasons left. I, I think I don't see how Lionel Messi, arguably the greatest player ever, doesn't, if he chooses to want to continue to play at this level, continue to try to get trophies solely at Barcelona until he's about 34. To be honest with you, I don't think that anyone 
within the club, probably not even the dressing room knows what Messi is planning for his future. Uh, the only people who might know what he's thinking right now are his immediate family, his parents, his wife, uh, maybe his siblings, but that's pretty much it. Messi has been extremely evasive when it comes to talking about his future. The only hints that he had dropped here and there was his uh, intention to spend maybe one year at Newell's Old Boys uh, before retiring. Apart from that, we don't know if he's thinking about moving to the MLS, uh, let's say, for example, at Inter Miami with David Beckham, for example, or if he wants to really uh, retire as a, as a Blaugrana. And I don't think that he even has made the decision yet. He's only he's only 32 years old. Sure, for the average footballer, that sounds uh, a bit old. But let's face it, he's still the best footballer in the world. He's still performing. He's still breaking records. He's still the top scorer in Europe. So why would he even have to think about retiring? I think that that conversation is only speculation and will be for at least the next three or four years and if i if i was a betting man i would i would bet that messi wouldn't want to go anywhere until the next fifa world cup i think that he will be mm -hmm. with fc barcelona until at least 2022 yeah i think that's a, that's a good idea there and i think the way that the number of miles that are on his legs already um, make me think that injuries in the next two or three seasons as he continues to get older uh, will dictate some of that future and that timetable. But I, I think you're right there that it's going to be up to him. It's going to be his choice. And as far as his personality, even the way that he chooses to speak, um, or let's say he doesn't speak English uh, unless a, a company like Pepsi throws an insane amount of money at him for him to say three, four words in English. Uh, I, I, there is reluctance, I think, for him to try to dip into different markets like the U.S. or, or Japan, as Iniesta did. I think there's a comfort that's going to come with uh, the, the twilight of his career. But I think from the Barcelona board's perspective, bringing in Neymar and Griezmann, that, not that it's a short-term fix, but it is the immediate response to him leaving again they're only three four years younger than him even and the the way you know football works it happens very quickly eras last two three four seasons uh so i can very much see the barca board attempting to prepare for that you know two three four seasons of the post messi era era and then worry about everything else later because when his wages comes off the books they're gonna have a lot of money to work with on a wage bill in theory, but again, we talk about the addition, the renovations that the camp know, and a lot of moving parts there. Uh, and they also might, I mean, who knows what board is in charge at that time, and whether or not they want to give themselves raises. As cynical as that may be, uh, the, there are politics at play there. Now, Papa asked, why are Barcelona spending money on Griezmann instead of a striker like Sevilla's Ben Yedder? Uh, and I think my easy answer to this one, Mike, is that Griezmann is a very known commodity over the course of three, four seasons. And even a, a player like Ben Yedder, you don't know. Barcelona are going to need his very best. And Ben Yedder has only shown his very best one season. Yeah, and Ben Yedder is kind of a risky bet, too. I mean, we're talking about a, even though we're not really playing the type of football but that we're used to, 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 to playing and, and enjoying, uh, let's face it, the, the, the Barca structure is very, is very difficult to fit in. And Ben Yedder... His background is actually in futsal. He he was a futsal player 
until until very 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 late in his teens, and then he crossed over to Ligue 1 as uh, as a 20 year old. So would we want to really throw the dice on that type of player? Sure, he's succeeding at uh, at uh, at Sevilla, but he's got much more freedom than he, than he would have if he moved over to, the, to to Barcelona. So in my opinion, uh, Ben Yedder, as talented as he is, I don't think that he would be able to fit in the Barca style. We've had much more talented players cross over and not uh, and not make it. And the names that come to mind first are one Juan Roman Riquelme and Philippe Coutinho. Yeah, I mean, and, and we continue to talk about Griezmann's fit at the club as well, being, um, again, not a perfect fit uh, in what Barcelona want to play in a 4-3-3. Now, I do have to shift uh, almost a 180 in this conversation about Neymar and Griezmann, just talking about Neymar. Steve asks, what kind of ethical clauses might Barca have in Neymar's contract to recover their investment if he is guilty uh, of assault or worse? And this is, again, something that I've spoken about in the past, that we want to avoid talking about guilt and legal issues until there is something concrete and something that we know. But I think to to, to answer Steve's question as best we can, I think the best practice is always to avoid a bad situation before it ever happens. And I think while I think this is the most important important reason if guilty why Barcelona shouldn't sign him this is again just another in a long line of we'll say PR worries about the player I think it's a it's unfortunate for Neymar if innocent but again if guilty it's something that the club shouldn't uh, take on at all so I think I would say it's something that we're gonna avoid talking about is that does that make sense Mike the key word is alleged uh, Dan (laughs) right yep alleged and you know what and not talking about Neymar specifically, but any any professional or any employee really from any company, uh, you and I, for example, all have uh, uh, ethical clauses in our contracts. If we're if we're convicted of a of a felony, out we go. We lose our jobs. And I think that footballers can see their 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 contracts cancelled if they if they commit a serious crime. And we've seen examples of that. By by the by the dozens and the dozens in the past, not only in soccer but in every other professional sports league. Yeah, you do have to, and I think in this case, you let the legal system run its course. That if he is guilty, he's out. It, it doesn't matter. It's 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 no tolerance. I, I know it's going to be impossible to move him, but again, this would be a mistake that the 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 club would have to eat that money. But um, if innocent, then. Uh, that's the verdict, and you just kind of uh, push it behind you. So it, it really does matter in the future what happens with this. Um, so it's an interesting time to to be worrying about this kind of transfer for Neymar. Uh, now, uh, we're going to go from that note to a much, much, much more interesting, I want to say positive, but it's only positive, Mike, because I, I said at the top of the show, this might be my favorite question I've ever gotten to answer in La Ronda. Maybe it's because not only do I love talking about football, but I also love talking about basketball. So Alex asked, why is reporting on soccer news so inconsistent and unreliable compared to other sports? Okay, so that's the negative part. Are there any insiders or sources you trust, like Woj from the NBA? Um, that, that's Adrian Wojnarowski he's talking about. Uh, I would also mention like Zach Lowe. There, in the NBA, there's a, a thing called an insider. Now, Mike, I do just hope you... Uh, just humor me for a moment. I have, I have my, little, uh, my little idea that I, I want to throw at you. So I'm going to use the NBA as the example here. The NBA worked so well because of the manageable internal growth of the sport 
uh, over the last, basically since the 21st century started, uh, uh, basically 03, the, the highlight of LeBron and how that's, uh, and well, actually starting with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, it, it turned the NBA into a global game. And since then, you know, LeBron James did not, certainly did not hurt its growth. Uh, and through ESPN and other outlets, beat writers and their credibility became something that was good for TV. So it wasn't just there are TV personalities here and then there are uh, beat writers and guys in the locker rooms over here. It's out now you have guys, uh, again, you even look at a guy like Sid Lowe, who is a reporter at the stadium, then he's on ESPN FC uh, in the next hour. But with the likes of Sport and Mundo Deportivo, the two biggest uh, newspapers in Barcelona, they have to sell papers still, and, and they need ad revenue uh, on, online as well. And at times, I think there is pressure from the Barcelona board in relation to their access, which in the U.S., access to teams is league-mandated, with teams getting the ability to be discretionary with media for smaller outlets. I mean, obviously, they're not going to let, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't just make up, you know, I, I work for uh, Knicks are really cool, I love them.com, and they give me a media pass. You need to have some kind of aforementioned credibility. Uh, and then even you look at with the Knicks when they try to deny one of their major papers outlet, I mean, uh, media uh, credentials, there was some backlash to that as well for that reason. And I think the other consideration is this, uh, why there's so much transfer nonsense and all this stuff, because that's really what we're trying to answer here, is there is a fluidity of movement. And the NBA most recently used as another example there, they've seen a huge uptick. And now we say that it's a 365 league where there's always something happening. And even though the NBA finals just happened uh, with Mike, your uh, Canada, your Toronto Raptors uh, winning the first NBA finals, congratulations to them. But yet, Throughout the whole finals, that injury to Kevin Durant seemed to dominate the news cycle more so than the win by the Toronto Raptors. If not for this other superstar in Drake, I mean, you know what I mean? What are we talking about on the court, uh, mm. unfortunately? And I think when it comes to, again, the NBA, they're talking about the future of Kevin Durant as much as they are, and the future of Kawhi Leonard as he's playing in the NBA finals. Like, So is it really about the trophy or is it about mm. these players' future and, and what comes next? So that drama equals content, though, for tons of outlets due to what is called, you know, this player empowerment era. And the transfer windows are basically the same thing in all of world football. There are basically, yes, there are release clauses and all these things, and uh, the price tags on certain players make certain moves realistic or unrealistic. But other than that, there are basically no guidelines for player movement when money is involved. And I can create content basically out of nothing. And as someone in sports, I don't think it's completely ethical. But again, maybe that's why I'm the one pleading with you listeners to watch the YouTube channel, share the show with a friend, check out Patreon and do all those different things. Just because, again, making money, as silly as it sounds, making money in journalism is hard if you're not somebody that's locked into a major network and in front of the camera and things like that. It becomes very difficult. So there is an un- unfortunately, it is, again, the cynical thing of this is this is a business and there has to be something to capitalize on and transfer news and all those rumors and all that garbage, it sells papers. And so, you know, when it comes to world football, because anything is possible, that's kind of what's printed. And it's printed to what people are going to buy and what people care about. And that's why we had so many questions about Neymar and Antoine Griezmann. That's not what I want to talk about, but that's what we're talking about because that's what is dominating the news cycles at the moment because it is the most intriguing thing and it's the most money involved. You know, uh, I'm in Montreal, so... You know that I love hockey, right? And I know that you love hockey too, Dan. Remember a year ago when John Tavares was about to leave? Oh, come uh, the on. New York Islanders? Come, come on. You know I'm an Islander fan. Come on. <laughs> I've forgotten. I forgive him. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. We're good. What What was the media talking back in back in those days? They were They wouldn't shut up about John Tavares. The The playoffs were not even over. The season was not even over, and they kept talking about John Tavares. Here in Montreal, 
we're in the middle of the summer and we have we have two other professional sports teams the 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 Montreal Alouettes of the CFL and the Montreal Impact of the MLS and they would be they would be playing that very day and the media would still be talking about who the Montreal Canadiens should draft who the Montreal Canadiens should sign uh, during free agency so whatever whatever annoying stuff that you all see from sports and mundo deportivo you see all over North America as well. If you're a North American sport, a sports fan and you have a professional sports team in your city, chances are that the media are giving the same type of coverage to your team than the Barcelona media or even the Madrid media are, uh, are doing with, uh, with FC Barcelona. I think that at this point it's beyond, it's beyond uh, sports. It's, it's, a, it's a media tactic. Like you said... Sometimes you have to create content or create speculation in order to keep things interesting. And personally, I don't mind it because I I know when to take a break <laughs> from it all and and when to actually be fully invested in what the media is saying. But it's just it's just how it works. And I, I don't think that the reporting itself is inconsistent in term in terms of uh, front page front page news. However, I will say this: you were mentioning uh, you were mentioning access. Then, I think that the the model to be followed in Europe would be the English Premier League. The English Premier League is the one that resembles uh, North American sports leagues the most in terms of access, in terms of uh, exclusive interviews, in terms of uh, of, pre- of uh, press conferences. And La Liga, unfortunately, is falling a bit behind, despite the fact that for nine years they had Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi at the same time, the two most marketable soccer players probably of all time, all things considered, since they were fortunate enough to have their careers in the, uh, in the social media era, something that Maradona or Pele or Johan Cruyff didn't have back in their days. And I think that they should have taken advantage of that to perhaps have a few La Liga games on national television here in North America or in Russia or in China or all the other big markets around the world. Instead of that, unfortunately, we still to this day are not really able to catch La Liga games on on North American networks. Yes, there is the zone. Yes, there is being sports, but you have to be you have to 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 to, to basically be a member of those uh, of those outlets. You still cannot catch a game on Saturday morning uh, on ESPN, Fox, NBC, uh, or the CBC up here in Canada uh, or TSN. And why is that? The interest is is here. I mean, who wouldn't watch a classical on national television? Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of missed opportunities, opportunities that the English have seized over 30 years ago. And I, I think that once we got that locked, we're going to see a surge in interest, the likes of which we've never seen before. And that is even considering how soccer has not only grown, but is now the sport uh, when it comes to, to to your less than 18 year old less than 18 year olds mm-hmm. all over North America, here in Canada, Dan, and you will be surprised to learn this, 
there are more children playing soccer than hockey by far. Hmm. It, it, you can't even you can you wouldn't even be able to compare those numbers. Yeah. The next generation, the generation that is 18 and under right now will be a soccer generation and it's up to La Liga to to catch up because the, the, if if they don't the next generation will be will be following the Bundesliga, the English Premier League, the Serie A perhaps, but La Liga unfortunately will probably fall fall even far further behind in terms of coverage in terms of uh, media attention here in North America or possibly in other big markets around the world. Yeah, Mike, uh, it is interesting, as I want to respond to this, then we'll move on with the rest of the, the finishing of the show, is that when it comes to La Liga in particular, um, you're, you're absolutely right that there is this catch-22 that Real Madrid and Barcelona, they dominate everything. They dominate the news cycle. They dominate what, what... I mean, the best players in Spain all dream of going to these two other big clubs in Spain. And, and that's how it's always been, and that's what has has you know garnered the amount of money that the Liga has earned. Without Messi and Ronaldo, where would the Liga be today uh, if those two hadn't been the superstars they were uh, with the Liga? And so with Barcelona and Real Madrid eating so much of that TV revenue up, you know it, it's not supporting other clubs uh, to continue making business. I mean, we looked at it, what Valencia, what their, the budget they have to work with in the transfer window is still less than the teams that were relegated from the Premier League, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. And so... You know, and you look at that, and they're, they're the, in theory, the fourth best team uh, in, in the Liga, or, you know, one of the largest teams playing Champions League football next year. And, and to that end, the catch-22 is that Barcelona and Real Madrid do make all the money, but because they eat up so much of that revenue, then the other clubs can't really advance as well, and it doesn't make them the whole league thing. And so that brings that to, I think, the final point and the big difference, again, between so many of these North American sports leagues and then what's happening uh, in, in, in global world football. I mean, even the MLS is different in that the MLS is, in theory, every team is owned by the MLS. Uh, and in the way that, you know, the ownership group of the NFL, uh, you know, each owner owns a team and teams can fold and things can happen. But it's always in the best interest of all the other owners as an ownership, basically as a, as a conglomerate for all the teams to succeed. And that's not the case in any way in world football, for better or worse. Again, that's why promotion and relegation, and we're not doing that at all, obviously, uh, even though we're, you know, we're from North America, but it doesn't affect Barcelona. Well, it, you know, promotion and relegation could, but it never has up to this point, knock on wood. But the final point is that, is it really in the best interest of Barcelona for um, even Real Madrid to succeed, right? If we, uh, and we, we know the answer in this abstract is yes, but if Real Madrid wound up falling on harsh financial times and were liquidated and fell all the way down, Barcelona would continue on as they are, and they're not, co-de- and they're not codependent upon each other. So I think that's the other big thing, too, that um, why would everybody in the Liga want to be working together in this media apparatus when really the self-interests are individually through the clubs, individually through those cities. And again, looking at the history between Catalonia and Castile and these types of things, I mean, that division has for many, many decades um, uh, been permanent. And so that's why you see that, you know, can Barcelona fans really trust what Marca or AS are saying? Not so much. But if if you're a Real Madrid fan and you see something in AS or Marca, well, do you take that with, with much more credibility? And, and I think that was a very, very long way of saying, and I'm so happy that our listeners stuck with us through all that, it was a long way of saying that media is just different, regardless of where it is. Exactly, exactly. And But the media is also possibly doing a, uh, the extended, how can I put this? The media 
does basically a lot of the marketing for a lot of those clubs out there. And that's something that that should that clubs should keep in mind and leagues should keep in mind uh, when thinking about whether or not they should work close, closely with the media and what place the media should have in their day-to-day operations. Yeah, and, and that is kind of, as we've said, we're talking about all these stories now over the summer because of we're just hearing what's coming from the media. Again, with the, <clears throat> with the rare... Uh, quote that is attributed to Bartomeu or to uh, one of the vice presidents or someone within the club, everything else we're getting is, is almost conjecture um, from media outlets, such as Antonio's questions here as we, as we wrap this one up. What is Barca's aim for this transfer window? And so what the media says is the aim and what the club actually finds to be the aim, I think are two different things. And that's what makes it so hard to even answer this question. You know, I think that there is a sincere will from the club to, to, uh, to improve uh, and to maintain the same level of success that it has in recent years. But I don't think that there is uh, an intention from the club to build for, uh, for the future. I think that their sole intention is to make sure that we have a solid enough team to win La Liga and perhaps... Uh, win the Champions League if possible although I don't think that it's their top priority even though they've been saying that for years I think that the the intention here is to be solid enough to to finish number one in the Spanish championship and that's pretty much it which is why the names that we keep hearing and rumors are these older players superstars and you know uh, we've mentioned Griezmann and Neymar a lot this episode but the name of Gianluigi Buffon was thrown around before we signed Neto recently uh, to replace uh, Jasper Sillison we keep hearing about Felipe Luis as well uh, Willian has come back into the fold so when you hear names like those I mean the only exception would be Matthijs de Ligt because he's so exceptional but when you hear that most of the names that are being thrown around are those of senior players, you know, established superstars, it gives you a clear indication that the club is not trying to build for, for the future, but they're trying to just bet it all in order to get immediate results. And talking about betting on the future, Doug asked, what happened at La Masia? So, Doug, unfortunately, we don't have time on today's show to get into this, um, but this is a question about an article that we're going to link to in the description uh, about the uh, Masia 360 program and strategy, if you will. Two weeks ago, when we talked that we did our end-of-the-year La Masia special with Navid Molagai, he actually had a huge Twitter feed on this, basically translating it for everybody. And so we're going to have those things in the description. So head over to Navid's Twitter for that, as well as uh, read the article in the description, and we will... Again, if more things come out about this and this story uh, does become something more, uh, basically to summarize, uh, they were trying to create a strategy to you know, help the club with both academics and psychological help. Surprise, surprise, conflicts between uh, Pep Segura and uh, other executives and other uh, members of the board. It seems that there are some unfair things happening with these kids and some of those programs that were meant to do a certain thing uh, in academic tutoring and in providing psychological help didn't work out so well. Uh, so that's basically the summary there. If you want to read about more of those details, again, uh, both the Twitter thread and the article itself, we'll link down there uh, in the show notes. Finally, to wrap this show up from Zach, 
Will Arthur be given more opportunity to start big games next season? And Mike, before you answer this, I want to give the context that uh, I think Zach is alluding to the fact that while he did start against Man United in the Champions League, he also started in the 5-1 win over Lyon. Uh, we did not see him as a starter in uh, any of the either of the Liverpool matches or the important ones. And the only thing I will throw in there is Zach. I said all of last year that he came directly from the Brazilian league. So I think he really did. And we saw that his form dipped a little bit in that spring, I think as he kind of gassed out. Um, And while he has been playing at the Copa America and he's been great over the summertime, I hope that a little bit of rest that he was able to get uh, in these few weeks in between will be enough to galvanize him for the new season. Uh, So I think my answer is going to be probably right, Mike. Yeah, probably. And you know what? I don't see Arturo Vidal getting as many minutes next season as he has uh, this season. And that's going to help him a lot to get to, to get more playing time as well. All right. Well, uh, easy does it on that final question. We, we ended it with a layup after trying to get into some uh, pretty difficult stuff there. Um, Mike, uh, you know, people, I think at this point know where to find you. And mainly I always say in the show notes. But what do you have going on over the summertime here? We're still doing Le Blaugrana podcast in French, the, the Barca-specific podcast en français pour ceux qui comprennent la langue de Molière. Sure, there's not that much to talk about, but we're going to cover the transfer window. We're going to cover the Copa America as well. We're going to do a few episodes on that following what's going on with Barca players as they're trying to, to, to win the Holy Grail in Brazil this summer. So you can follow that on uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at BlaugranaPod. And you can follow my personal account as well, in English, at MikeMillerFC, where I talk about Barca and uh, other soccer-related topics. And uh, and you can also uh, find me on the Facebook group of the Barcelona Podcast with Dan Hilton. Oh, I appreciate that uh, shout, Mike. And on that Facebook group... That's where you can also, uh, again, answer the three questions. And I cannot, you know, I cannot say that enough. We don't want that group to get uh, too overwhelmed with with people who, again, aren't really going to truly try to contribute and be part of the community. So if you want to be part of that, you have to answer those three questions and answer them honestly. If you've been declined, it's because, again, uh, I wasn't necessarily too sure or you didn't answer all the questions. Um, So if you were even declined, give better answers and I'll let you in the group. Uh, I do approve. And you can ask one of the questions here and we will try our best to get to all of them and answer them on the show. Uh, now the one announcement I do want to make is still unsure about whether or not there is a show next week. Uh, I might be going on a little bit of a, uh, nothing too serious, but there might just be show for scheduling reasons. Uh, and then we will see you again in two weeks where I have some fun, fun things planned, uh, for the rest of the summer that aren't necessarily just talking about blah, blah, Neymar, Griezmann, blah, blah. I might have some interesting, fun things happening this summer. So, For this show, at least, where we were talking about all that blah, blah, I still hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in again. Tap in your app. Check out the show notes to subscribe to our show. You can find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. The closed Facebook group that we've been talking about here is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions, all the questions, all that. You can help us out on Patreon, as I mentioned in the middle of the show, to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And during the season, uh, I do do quick take match reviews, 
for every single match. So that is the benefit that you get throughout the season. And if you were Patreon back in 2018, they got t-shirts. So there are things going on on the Patreon page. It is not just a dead page to support me. And I do thank my Patreons as well, as always here on the show. We're also on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. And this past week, I had two episodes come out on that. They're just about five, six minutes, easily digestible. I talked about the best players from La Masia in the last season. And uh, just yesterday, I came out with something about the summer transfer targets, not Neymar, not Griezmann, not Delict, but the guys that I thought that Barcelona should be targeting. Basically, all of them are within... 60 million euro uh, availability so or less so I, I think all of them are available or could be if they sell a Coutinho you could get two or three of these players so instead of bringing in Neymar I've got some choices there so go over to YouTube the Barcelona podcast you can check out that video and I have more planned on the summer for that as well hit the subscription button again like watch the whole video those are all things you can do to help our show here and again thanks so much for listening to all of this until next time we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca Forza Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.